Are we more upset about the 63rd ranking or the 10 in the logo? I say it's probably the 10, right? Listen, if it's 2020 and you're still using 10, I have an issue with you. I say, what's your problem, Kazanski? Jeremy, I just want to remind you, you can be my wingman anytime. Thanks, man. (laughs) This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. We welcome in BYU assistant head coach and the special teams coordinator and linebackers coach, Ed Lamb, on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline via Zoom. Ed, it's good to see you back in your office. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, well, here we are. We're all on campus, but uh, only you guys can actually shake hands and be together, I guess. <laughs> good, to, good to visit with you, even though it's, I've had way too much Zoom in my life recently. Seriously, we're all experts now. Virtual backgrounds and muting and and headphones. Oh, I don't have any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. Ed, I say 85 days away from the scheduled start of the season. What's the first thing that goes through your mind? Well, I I probably I I think I can speak for all of our program is uh, just it can't get here soon enough. The um, with what's been going on, the the feeling of of isolation and. and not having the opportunities to compete and prepare in the, in the way that our guys are used to. I think, I think for everyone, you know, it'd be a, if we can get back as soon as possible to some normalcy with the way that these guys are used to preparing, then, then to me, the earlier the better. And right now, volunteer workouts are going on. There's discussion, Ed, of uh, perhaps the NCAA sanctioning a six-week buildup to the season. That's typically been about four weeks. So we are about a month away, potentially, if that gets passed from fall camp uh, beginning. What are your thoughts on, on the potential that we are a month away from an extended fall camp? Yeah, there's, you know, each time the NCAA kind of bounces something around, it, we, we hear about it and then, and then we're talking amongst ourselves and then with, with coaches and other programs. And I know a lot of coaches are leaning towards, say, hey, if we can get going and in some part of July, then we're just going to go straight through with these uh, maybe OTAs or, or a little bit different type of preparation than maybe we've had in years past. And then all the way through the season, you know, I don't, I don't personally think that that uh, may give the type of benefit that we're looking for. I know, I know we're behind a little bit in preparing for the season, but every program is, and we've got to remember that these guys are, these guys are passionate about what they do and they're going to be prepared. Um, I, I think, physically pretty close to what they normally are. I, I think some well-placed uh, days off, even if it's one or two days here and there, will be really critical throughout July and August in hopes of keeping the guys um, you know, I, I mentally and physically ready to go, not just for the beginning of the season, but for the whole season. Yeah, the mental aspect of thinking about spending six weeks of fall camp with each other is uh, something else. Because after like week three, it feels like the guys are ready to knock each other out. So if you extend that, uh, things could get very interesting, it would seem. That's right. These are competitive guys who have had their, their competitive outlet taken away. And so we have, to, we have to find a way to sustain that drive throughout the long season and, and the camp leading up to it. And they start, it, I'm, I'm remembering my mission, how, I, yeah, I wanted to knock out some of my companions after six weeks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, let alone football. And let's talk about that, too, because we have yet to figure out, Ed, some of the, some of the safety regulations relative to football because we're essentially saying, okay, social distance, 
But hey, when you play football, just you guys just yeah, just do your thing and it'll be fine. So we've certainly got to figure um, some things out in that regard of the risk we're willing to take, I guess, to have football. Yeah, absolutely. You said the word right there. It's risk. And that's what everyone who is involved in these decisions right now, they're just managing risk. And there may, you know, I, I know there's there's some uh, research out there to suggest that maybe the, the risk of all of this is, is not quite, uh, doesn't quite justify the measures. But for those making the decisions, I don't think there's enough of that information right now to justify just uh, turning everyone loose and uh, letting us get back to it. So we're being uh, very conscientious right now in our program and in the weight room and, and with the boys training, making sure that we're coming back in the way that the latest research is indicating that we should. And hopefully every program's doing that and we keep marching towards some normalcy. Ed Lamb with us on BYU Sports Nation, assistant head coach, special teams coordinator, and linebackers coach. Ed, while you're managing risk and the health of all of your guys, you're also managing what looks like a pretty talented linebacker core. Uh, let's start with this guy, however, who is floating, we think, away from the linebackers into the secondary, Zane Anderson. What role will he play as a linebacker, if at all? I think that probably the best way to say it would be like w- within our program and, and language that we use talking to Zane and the other guys, Zane, Zane is going to cover tight ends. And, and sometimes linebackers do that in some schemes and sometimes um, sometimes safeties do that. And, and so we have to continue to move toward the scheme or the personnel group that gets our best players on the field most consistently Zane is certainly one of those guys that we have to take into consideration uh, in that effort. And, and what he does best to me is, uh, is hold edges, run side to sideline to sideline and cover tight ends. And so whatever position we put him at, that's, that's most likely what he'll be doing. Another guy that perhaps is switching positions is Max Tooley to safety. Is that the case? Uh, yeah. And so Max is, a, Max is a little bit different in that Max uh, got enough playing time last year that he really showed a, an ability to do a lot of different things. But the thing, the impression that he made the most on everybody was that he will uh, courageously throw his body around in the name of BYU football victory. And so <laughs> we, we, we want to find places for him on the field. It, it may be, again, maybe safety, maybe linebacker, maybe defensive end. He's had some exposure to all of that now in special teams as well. Um, you know, and so the closer that guys like that get to being on the field all the time, the more we have to really, define what their position is. But at this point, Max has a lot of abilities and we want to use that versatility. I love that. Courageously throw your body around in the uh, name of, in BYU the name football. of BYU football. And, and you've t- I want him to say that as he's tackling too. in the name of BYU. football. <laughs> you've, you've talked about contact courage too. That's a big deal for you. A, a guy that's going to throw himself in there, right? Yeah, I think that's the game. And, and, you know, just that's basically my foundational philosophy from, from day one or letter A in recruiting, and then is finding guys that at least have the potential to develop that confidence, putting them in the weight room, getting them stronger, building their confidence over time, and then seeing that to come to fruition on the field. That's that's what I enjoy most, most about football. Ed Lamb with us on BYU Sports Nation. Coach, uh, let's talk about Chaz Ayu. Uh, what's his role right now? What's his status with the team, and what do you expect him to do once the season starts? Yeah, Chaz is, uh, you know, as far as the status with the team, you know, Ch- Chaz is training with the boys. He's he's preparing for the season. And so I think, uh, you know, whatever whatever he had, um, you know, with with uh, law enforcement and with, with BYU honor code, 
that, at least from my perspective, that appears to be something that he's worked through or is working through and, and isn't um, in any way affecting his role with the team. So that's a great thing because he's one of a few guys that have a lot of experience for us. He can play uh, anywhere on the edge from the outside linebacker to the safety position. He's even got a little bit of action in, in nickel and dime packages at inside linebacker. And uh, his, his ability to find the football is something that we have to have. Absolutely. USC plays hurt in overtime. Toledo has that amazing strip, uh, you know, recovery. It was awesome. Kavik Fonua, to a lot of people, they may not know, he led the team in tackles. He's back, a guy that's played all over the place, running back, linebacker. What do you expect from him at uh, middle linebacker this year? Yeah, he's, he's consistently given us since he first stepped on the field. My, my first year here, 2016, he led the team in, in special teams tackles. So he's always been a guy that just has a knack for finding the football, bringing the ball carrier down, and uh, plays with a lot of speed, a lot of strength, always in great body position. And he's, he's a guy that we're really counting on. He's re- we really have, I think, five guys, Chaz, Kavika, Keenan Peely, Peyton Wilgar, and Isaiah Kalfusi that have significant experience. A bunch of other guys in the mix, but those guys have played and made plays for BYU you know, more than one or two games. In the name of BYU football, right? In the name. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you say those names, and again, just depth and experience kind of float to the front of the mind. Um, With that depth, is the linebacker core the deepest group on the BYU defense? Well, that can change really quickly. I I know some positions that we're counting on for the experience that they bring. The secondary. This is this is our most experienced secondary, especially out on the edges at the corner spots. To have this many guys that have that type of length, speed, and game experience, uh, getting Chris Wilcox back, and then and then mixing in Isaiah uh, Isaiah Heron, uh, D'Lo, and then uh, Keenan Ellis. Those those guys have all had played significantly. We haven't had that type of, um, of advantage in the past. There's a lot of experience you mentioned at linebacker, and I want to highlight maybe another guy or two there. Peyton Wilgar, before the season, we all thought he would lead the team in interceptions, right? Um, no. <laughs> yeah, he ends up having three, and he really showed up. He went from, people don't know his name, to this, this really stud player. What went into that development for Peyton Wilgar, and what do you expect uh, this year as a, as a sophomore? I think he really he followed the script for a developmental player, which is a little bit under-recruited in high school, um, body was really changing. He was a, th- a tall, thin safety in high school. And, and because I was at Southern Utah during his high school years, you know, I had tracked him from the time he was a young player and, and offered him down there. And then we really tried to convince him, you're scholarship worthy. We like it, BYU. We don't, it doesn't matter what other offers you have or don't have, but we didn't have a scholarship. And so he agreed to come walk on and earned it very quickly, obviously, with his play. And uh, also went from about 175 or 180 pounds as a as a junior in high school to now where he's at at 240 plus pounds Whoa. and a lot of strength and, and still can run. A lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the middle of the night, right? <laughs> I don't know his secret. You know, <laughs> he's, uh, the strength came along with it, so there's a lot of work in there. All right, one guy who we haven't talked uh, in detail specifically about during at least this interview is Isaiah Kafusi. Uh, we're going to have him on later in the show. What does he bring to the BYU defense? He's our most experienced linebacker and, and uh, in terms of number of years and how, how long he's been contributing. But, um, you know, it, and he brings what you would expect from that. He really 
I think, sees himself as um, important on and off the field to BYU football. So he's been uh, very vocal in his leadership. He's, um, he, he always has a smile, something positive to say uh, to both coaches and teammates. And so his value goes way beyond what he brings on the field, and what he brings on the field is substantial. Looking forward to seeing Keenan Peely and then Isaiah's brother Jackson as well in that group. Um, tell us about some of the newcomers, a guy like Josh Wilson, who was highly touted coming out of Corner Canyon. Of course, Zach Singer, brother, who is a potential stud in the future for BYU as well. Yeah, you know, the eye test on Josh Wilson, he looks like a typical middle linebacker. He's not quite as tall and, and long as some of our other guys. But um, you know, really where he made a lot of noise uh, or, or would surprise people is his ability to play the pass. I, I think he uh, may have led the state or at one time was leading the state in interception returns for touchdowns and uh, really has a knack for uh, getting in the passing lanes as a middle linebacker. That's a, that's a huge benefit to, to any defense. So excited about uh, what, what he can bring early on. Uh, Pepe Tanavasa is a, is a guy that played um, just last year, was ineligible, but he played at Navy before he transferred here. He has shown a lot to everybody on the team. He's definitely going to be in the mix. Ben Bywater is one who redshirted last year. Uh, Drew Jensen has come a long way fighting back from injury, and we're starting to see the potential that he that we knew he had coming out of high school. The insights that you bring, uh, Ed, are always appreciated. The attention to detail. And thank you for giving us another theme for BYU athletics moving forward. In the name of BYU football. Courage. Yeah, contact courage. Courage to throw your body around. In the name of that contribution that I made, can can I get 10 seconds? I'm also coaching the Nickelbacks. And we have three guys that we didn't talk about. And I don't think the safeties coach will be bringing them up either. But if, if the young boys are watching this, Shimon Willis had an excellent spring. Ammon Hanneman is a young player we're super excited about that can play both linebacker and safety, and, and he fits in at the nickel. And then Caleb Christensen has uh, so much raw athletic ability right now. Excited about all three of those guys. Hey, yeah, love let's it. let's spread the love, man. Love it. Love it. Let's go. They, they've earned it. Ed, great to catch That's up with right. you, man. Hope you're staying uh, healthy, and uh, all the best to you and your family. Likewise. Thank you, guys. You got it. Ed Lamb on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Here's why I love uh, the opportunity we have together on the show. We think we know something about the linebacker. Oh, we're good. Like we, kn- I learned a ton about people that I thought I knew already, right? And that's the pursuit of knowledge, right? Is Oh, we learned all these things, and we're talking about the nickel packs, and we're talking about Peyton Wilgar gaining 60 pounds from high school to now. 40 pounds now? And, and what he's earned and Ed Lamb's journey with him. So, yeah, this has been great. I'm really stoked about that group. We also learned a couple of new names, and he mentioned one. Pepe Tanuvasa is a uh, junior that transferred from Navies from Tiger to Oregon. He's a guy that's in the mix, return missionary. Um, he's now at BYU. He's in the mix at linebacker. You can't have enough good linebackers either because those are the guys that are that are in every single play, right, chasing the ball down. And the potential for injury with those guys is the highest on defense. So I'm excited about uh, the linebacker group. BYU brings back a lot of experience at that I'm position. I'm excited about that specifically. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. This past weekend, we at BYU Broadcasting and those within BYU football lost a beloved family member. Christopher Clark, the husband of Lisa Valentine Clark, host of The Lisa Show on BYU Radio, passed away after a long 
courageous battle with ALS. Chris is also the brother of BYU football tight ends coach Steve Clark. He was an accomplished actor and director, having trained with the Royal Shakespeare Company and was the chair of the Utah Valley University's Theatrical Arts for Stage and Screen Department. In November, Christopher was the subject of a Deep Blue segment, and we felt it fitting to share his amazing story with you today in honor of the Clark family, the life Christopher lived, and the impact he had on so many lives. Our love goes out to his wife and our colleague Lisa, his brother Steve, and all those who mourn his passing. Christopher Clark was 48 years old. What drives and motivates Christopher Clark? I am motivated purely by money. Okay, next question. I did not see that All of his brothers are like hunters and super into sports, and he was not really into sports ball and would rather read Shakespeare and go be in plays and things like that. He was talented. He was the talented brother. He has trained all over. He's got a lot of experience. And it's amazing, and it's showed in his career. And he's just really passionate about acting and directing, and he's directed some of the best theater in the state of Utah. I've kind of come around to that part of him, the more artsy part of him that I thought I never would. And then he's got into the NFL for some reason, um, and Major League Baseball. Steve has always been a hero to me because he's my big brother. But we've always had different interests and talents. Our lives didn't intersect very often, but adversity is a great connector. I've had to slow down, and it's made me recognize how many incredible people are in my life. We take each other for granted. Steve isn't just my brother, he's my friend. Started with like a sort of a drag in the foot, like, hey, there's this weird thing, and I'm like, yeah, you're fine. And um, then after it didn't go away, we did some, you know, MRIs. And when it was clean, we got a little worried, but then we did another uh, MRI a little bit higher up in his neck. And when that was clean, then everybody got a little bit concerned. I, of course, did what everybody should not do, which is to go online and Google the symptoms. And I was like, well, for sure it's not that. That's horrible. ALS is a motor neuron disease that affects the muscles. My brain is sending signals to my muscles, but they aren't getting through. I first lost my legs, then my hands, and then my voice. My brain still functions normally, and I still have full physical sensation. My muscles just don't want to work. I'm sure he's had down, dark days, but I've never seen him. He's uh, very open about it. He has a lot of toughness to be able to go through what he's going through and know that it's, it's only going to get worse before it gets to the end. Every new phase, there's a little bit of grief and mourning, for sure, of like, oh man, I can't believe he can't stand anymore. He can't play the piano. He's this gorgeous concert pianist. I mean, ugh, he can't talk, he can't say these things, but he can still communicate, you know? It, you just, it's always trying to desperately look for what he can still do. And that's a game that we both do for each other. My disease is constantly changing the way I live. But each time it throws a new curveball, I try to strategically figure out a way to deal with it. Adversity can be so overwhelming, but you can chip away at it day by day. He has this 15-minute rule. You can spend 15 minutes a day feeling sorry for yourself, feeling overwhelmed, feeling that grief heavy, but then that's enough, move on 
with your, the rest of your day. Live. So the challenge for me is try to live a full, normal life as a husband and a dad and take everything as it comes. He's still doing it. He's still doing everything he can do in some adaptable way. Christopher and his family came to the, the indoor practice facility, and the moment he got in, he, his eyes just lit up. My true blue hero experience was a bit of surprise. I thought I was there to watch practice. Suddenly the team was gathered around me and Matt Bushman was giving out presents. You can't tell from my face, but I was a little in shock. It was awesome. The team goes to one side of the field and we set up our, our true blue hero on the 50-yard line and they break out and they start chanting his name. And I see his eyes just looking and just being lit up with, you know, he's, he, he was really happy and, and knowing that the team was coming to honor him. I have a family and then I have a second family and the second family's the team. And so I had, a, I had two uh, people that I care about. I felt so much love from the team. Many of them thanked me and were a little emotional. And I could tell it wasn't just because they felt bad about my situation. They seemed to see me as a person who is bigger than a disease. That meant a lot to me. Someone suggested that Chris uh, run a play with the team, which uh, he never, he's never carried a football in his life. Jaron Hall took the snap, gave it to Baylor. Baylor gave it to, to Christopher. Matt pushed right up the A-gap, and everybody just followed. You know, the whole team came in from the right, from the left, from, the, from behind, and we just ran all the way to the end zone, and it was uh, something that I'll remember forever. I'm a fan of Matt Bushman first and foremost because he's a tight end, and my brother is the tight end coach. But he's also a fantastic player who delivers every game, and a great human. You can tell the team looks up to him. I do too. I wouldn't want anyone else to do it. Matt's a great player. After Christopher's gone, I'll remember that. That day the rest of my life. That's bigger than, than the game. That's bigger than football. Matt Bushman doesn't need to catch another pass, score another touchdown to, to be a hero in, in the Clark family. When you learn stories and experiences that some of these people have to go through, it definitely humbles us, and we realize that we're fortunate to be able to be playing at the stage that, that we're at, just being able to represent BYU. It puts it into perspective, and a lot of us feel a lot more grateful after we meet with the True Blue Heroes. I think when people see Christopher going through all these struggles and still maintaining a lot of happiness, they want to put like a big bow on it, right? And say, well, see, anyone can get through anything. Just have a good attitude. And I wish that there were a way for me to convey on a deeper level, like the kind of person that Christopher is in the short amount of time that we have together. Before this disease, he was living life to the fullest and using his talents and his gifts and creating art and putting it out there, trying to be the best person that he can. Christopher does not want to be defined by ALS. He wants to be a father, the husband, the theater director. He wants to be defined by so much more. And so when you can have a moment where you can just stop and, and appreciate that in another person, whether they have a disease or not, I think that there's great value in that, of just really seeing somebody for who they really are. Everyone needs that. Everyone is drawn to that kind of connection. Oh, son of a gun. Did you just ruin my tank?
up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. It's time for the Cougar Whip Around. Football. Football's ranked 19th. What? Among FBS teams in most games played on national TV. ESPN, ESPN2, ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC. We left a few channels off of that. Well, BYU football did. You know, and that's fine. I'm not talking about BYU TV. I'm talking about other channels. Since 2016 with 31 games. That's third most in the West, tied with Boise State. Uh, they have the third most in the West with USC. Uh, notable that BYU is one of the tops in the country. Mm, interesting that you bring that up because ESPN ranks BYU's head coaching job as a tier two coaching job what? among all group of five college football programs. Why not tier one? We'll go, uh, we went through rather the particulars in our opening segment. Download the podcast to listen to all of that. Jimmer! Greek basketball team Panathinaikos is reportedly asking Jimmer Fredette to take a 50% pay cut, according to Sportando. Fredette is in year two of a $3.5 million deal, which is what Spencer's in, that'd be team, mm-hmm. which was the second largest contract on the team's roster at the time. That's the case here as well. The report opines that Fredette could go back to China or move to another European team. I'm interested to see what he will do. China? Is he going to stay with Panathinaikos? Well, everyone's lost money, right? Everyone. So what happens now? We'll see. What's the best fit for Jim or for Dent? Uh, a topic for another day, that's for sure. In Matt Bushman, we trust. Sounds like a nice political slogan, doesn't it? It just might be the slogan for success when it comes to BYU football in 2020. Yes, I vote Matt Bushman, who decided to return for his senior season and delay a potential pro football career. Last week, Steve Clark, the tight ends coach, when asked about expectations for the tight ends and what was to happen with that group, said, hey, we're going to wear out Matt Bushman this season. This is a guy that's led BYU in catches and receiving yards each of the last three seasons. Jeremy, if BYU is to wear out Mr. Bushman this season, what will his stats look like in 2020? It didn't lead BYU in catches this last year, but everything else. Yeah, two last Correction, year. Micah Simon? Micah Simon. Micah Simon yes. was catches. But the point is that he's awesome. Yeah, he's really, really good, right? So he had 47 grabs. That was second. 688, that was first. And then four touchdowns. Four feels a little low, right? Those are really good numbers for tight ends across the country. And at BYU, you look at 688, that's a good number. But at BYU, that's like maybe 11th or something. There's been an amazing run of tight ends. I, I think that a 60 catches, 600 yard, and six touchdown year, 60, 606, it would be something that I think would be a good goal, which brings us to an early stat. Nope. A non-music playing stat of the day for me. <laughs> okay. There are only... Four seasons in BYU history where a tight end did what I just said. 60, 606. I thought it was so good I was going to get sad there. It wasn't worthy. Uh, Gordon Hudson did it twice. Uh, David Mills in 84 did it. And your boy Dennis Pitta did it in 09. A 60 catches, 600 yard, and six touchdowns performance. There's nothing so, wrong with calling an audible for non-music. Because that, that's a solid stat. Yeah, next time. I'll try and be good enough to get it next time. Uh, I, I, th- I think that's reasonable. He's only 13 catches and two touchdowns off of that. I think that's reasonable. So you have to increase the targets a little bit with Matt Bushman. Uh, two years ago, it felt a little weird that Matt Bushman wasn't targeted as much. I thought he was targeted pretty appropriately this last year. A stat came out that said he was one of, what, a handful of guys that didn't drop a ball all year in FBS. I mean, he is BYU's best offensive um, 
skill position, if you will. I would call left tackle a skill position, though. Brady Christensen's pretty good. So just a guy that's going to catch the ball or run, right? Now, Bushman's good. 60, 600, 6. He catches everything. So I hope that he leads BYU in catches and receiving yards. If BYU had uh, a more explosive wide receiver group, and, and that's not saying that they don't have capability to do that, but right now Matt Bushman is clearly the best weapon that BYU's passing attack has. And he, he will be. I'll be shocked if a guy like Gunnar Romney or Dax Milne or Neil Powell or anybody else is better. And they could be very good. I expect Matt Bushman to lead the team in catches and receiving yards. I would love to see Matt up around 60 catches, if not more. But I think that he has the capability to really spread the defense out and do what Chris Smith and Dennis Petta and those guys have done before. I wouldn't be surprised to see Matt Bushman have over 750, maybe 800 yards receiving this season. In fact, I hope he does because if they're going to wear him out, he probably needs to have those numbers. So that's where my expectations lie. Depends how you cater your offense, too. The tight ends under the old BYU offenses in the 80s and 90s were featured more prominently. Uh, nowadays, a tight end is not the same as he was uh, you know, back in the day. But more teams are using tight ends as guys that flex out. Johnny Harleen is yes. not known for, and even Dennis Pitta, right? Andrew George, their ability to sit in there and block as much, although they could have done that well and maybe we didn't notice. It's that when they flexed out, they created a, a mismatch. Because who are you going to put on Matt Bushman? Tell me the player uh, and what he does that you're going to put. Are you going to put a linebacker on him? He's going to be taller, and his catch radius is going to be above that guy's reach. Are you going to put a strong safety? Matt will just be a little too physical, a little too strong. Matt Bushman is a matchup nightmare for He's people. always open. And he's always open. Unless he's not. Don't force it in now. Let's go. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Via Zoom, he is BYU sophomore forward, sharpshooter Wyatt Lowell. Wyatt, welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you, Spencer. Hey. And Jerem. Yeah. I was like, hey, what about me, man? What's, and, what's going uh, on, Wyatt? I mean, I kind of like you, Jerem. <laughs> <laughs> Wyatt, what's been the best and worst part about the last three months for you? And I say three months, that's a rough timeline. As far as social distancing and quarantine measures and no sports, how, how have you made the most of this thing? Let's see. Best thing, uh, my family recently moved up here from Arizona, so mm-hmm. I've had a lot of time to be around them. And then also uh, – been having some good time with a close friend of mine or the girl that I'm dating. So that's been good. Okay. <laughs> and, and our audience knows the girls you're dating. Do you want to say the name or no? I, I think they do pretty well. Uh, Alyssa Jefferson on the soccer team. Yeah. She's uh-huh. that soccer player. She's, she's uh, but, really good at the soccer and she's a great person too. <laughs> She'll be a better soccer player than I ever was. basketball player. Let's hold off that judgment. You're going into your rest of sophomore year, right? Like you could still be <laughs> really right. good. That's she, right. She was legit. That's a goal. That, yeah. But uh, the worst part, obviously, just all that work from the redshirt year and then just putting that on hold, not being able to get into the gym like we were before. So that's probably the, just the worst part, in my opinion, and the terrible things happening in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's it's certainly been uh, you know awful to see what COVID-19 has done, and it's po- it's just paused life, right? So, really? uh, yeah, here, here we are now in uh, June. So what are you up to now? 
So we just recently started our voluntary workouts here. So that's been amazing coming back with the guys and we're in small groups and we got all our procedures and stuff, but that's pretty much where we're at now. Uh, just trying to get back to getting better every day. How did you handle uh, sitting out a year? Because you played uh, as a as a freshman in Utah Valley with Mark Pope. You come over, you mm-hmm. sit out. It was an amazing season. You're part of that team. You don't play in the games, but you're part of that team as a redshirt, right? So what was that experience like, and how has that helped you for what will be your what redshirt sophomore year? Yep. I mean, of course, I was just insanely happy for the guys watching all the success that they had and, I mean, all the amazing experiences that they had together. But, I mean, personally, like, I just I hated just sitting on the sidelines and showing up to practice every day and battling with the guys and not being able, being able to actually go play. So that was for sure the hardest part, just not being able to play. And after having tasted what it's like to be out on the court and knowing how, so, how fun it is, uh, that's obviously just the hardest part. Um, but, yeah. Wyatt Lowell with us on BYU Sports Nation. Wyatt, where and how did you get better as a basketball player during your redshirt campaign? Oh, that's a great question. I love talking about that. The biggest thing was my body. Uh, coming back from the mission was, for me, just super hard with my body. But over the redshirt year, I was able to gain 15 pounds of muscle and get so much quicker and so much stronger. So that, for me, just completely changed everything. It's helped me in every aspect of my game. Like I just feel so much more confident if I can do so many more things. So that for sure was the biggest thing, but then also just being able to show up every day in practice and not have the stress of having to perform in a game. I just had to show up and get better and compete with the guys. So really those two things for me were just helped me tons. Is there a switch that you'll have to flip as you now have the pressure to perform? Like you said, Oh, it's nice to not, have that per se, but do you feel like uh, that will take a minute to, hey, I'm back in a game for the first time in a year? I've, I for sure think that. I think I, I have a tendency to, to get on myself, and so it'll be hard to readjust to that. So I think it'll definitely be a learning process, like you said. Well, you are part of uh, what is quickly becoming a transfer nation at BYU, <laughs> okay? Uh, you have... Moved from yeah. Utah Valley to BYU along with your former teammate Richard Harward. Matt Harms is coming in. Alex Barcelo is a transfer. Gideon George. Gideon, I mean, Spencer Johnson. Like half the roster. <laughs> yeah, most of yeah, the guys, right? Jesse Wade it was. Right? If, if yeah. not a majority. Uh, what is it about wanting to play specifically for Mark Pope that you, you're willing to follow him to BYU or a transfer wants to leave their program and come to BYU? Yeah, I think that's good. I think it's different for everybody. But for me personally – the two things that really, uh, really stood out to me was one, he's, he's done what I, what I hope to do. I mean, I, I want to make it to the NBA and he's, he's done it. So he knows what it takes. And so for me, listening to somebody that's done it is a big deal. Like I just, I can really trust him. And then just the energy, the, the, the fight to win and the desire and just how good it feels here. Like those two things to me were just unbeatable in every aspect. Let's talk about you as a player. So here we are, you know, hopefully just a couple months away from seeing you playing games in the Marriott Center, which is going to be awesome. So you're 6'10". You're not a front court player. You're a back court player, right? Uh, you're a shooter. Mm-hmm. D- describe your game. And then there's some questions, I guess, for people who maybe haven't seen you play about your handle. Can you handle the ball? Are you a three? Are you a stretch four? Where do you fit in all this? Uh, I think that's a great question. Uh, I think the best way to put it, how I've always put it, is just being – a mismatch, a mismatch nightmare. Um, I 
growing up was always taught how to dribble and how to be a guard, but also how to post up. I mean, if I'm taller than everybody, I might as well be able to do that. So I know that I think when a lot of people hear six, six, 10 or six, nine, I'm actually six, nine with shoes off, but you know, whatever. But when they hear that, they think, Oh, well, he probably can't do those things. But I mean, I'm, I'm not the quickest guy on the court, but I like to think for my size, when I match up against those kind of guys that I can, I can handle it on my own. And I can't, I, I have been like learned how to dribble. And that was the big thing this redshirt year. Oh, as I talked about my body getting a lot stronger, college is a lot more physical than high school, like leaps and bounds. So I had to adjust to that and learn how to take contact while handling the ball. And so I feel like I've just come so far with those things. And so really at the end of the day, whoever my defender is, I'm just going to exploit their weaknesses and do the things that I can do, whether that is shoot, or, shoot over them, go around them, post them up. Yeah, that's kind of if I were to explain my game, that's how I would put it. We just showed uh, you scoring nine points against BYU uh, for Utah <laughs> Valley. What's that like having played against BYU on that court and now you're with the Cougars? That's got to be weird a little bit. <laughs> it is definitely weird. I don't think a lot of people really get to do that. But, I mean, love UVU and his a great experience and I love that place but I mean you step into the Marriott Center and it's like there's just no place like it the best fans in the world and so it was fun being there playing against BYU but I think it's going to be even more surreal of an experience being on the court playing for BYU and having those fans so I'm excited it's gonna be great scoring on Yoli Childs we just saw that that's fun <laughs> Bat, little, little yeah, backdoor that's... cut for a layup yeah that's pretty fun I'm sure you reminded him of it uh, daily in practice. Uh, perhaps a conversation for another We're, day. We didn't show any Yoli's highlights in that game either. Let's just be fair. Yeah, exactly. Wyatt Lowell with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, 37.6% from the three-point line uh, during the season of highlights that we just watched. Uh, you clearly like to shoot the long ball. Where do you rank among the three-point shooters at BYU right now? Oh, asking for my opinion. I mean, I just... I feel like I have to say me because I just, it's that's basketball. You got to be confident in yourself. But I mean, Alex Barcelo, like he was one of the top shooters in the nation last year. And then we got some other guys coming in that are great shooters. So really at the end of the day, I've, I'm pretty confident that we have a lot of guys that can make shots. And I think that's what matters at the end of the day. I really hope that at some point there's the following lineup in the game just for height purposes, that Connor Harding is running the point, that you're sliding over at the two, <laughs> that Gavin Baxter and Richard Harwood and Matt Harms are in the game as well. So that'd be what, 6'9", 6'9", six, nine, six, nine, and 7'3". That'd be, that'd be amazing, right? Just like, just for a, a minute. Just for something, just to see what it's like. That's got to be like a record or something. We just got to try it out. <laughs> Way too tall, right? Okay, every, tell us about Richard Harwood. Everyone says that... Uh, you know, he is an amazing post player and tremendous defender and bruiser and has an amazing... Des- describe what you see from him as a former teammate at, at UVU and now BYU. I mean, all those things that you just said, I would echo. Like, he just works his butt off. He's so skilled with his hands and his feet, and he's so big but mobile at the same time, which makes him kind of unique. Um, but I think one thing that hasn't been said a lot is just how great of a teammate he is. He just really is the best teammate ever uh he is always just like pumping guys up and he's always just having a good attitude and he uh is willing to put others before himself which i think is kind of rare and so i think all those things that you mentioned are 
clearly his best qualities, but I think that's something that I also really admire about him. Has he ever elbowed you in the face or fouled you really hard? He seems like that. <laughs> oh, he, seems, yeah. he seems like oh. that guy. Playing him in one-on-one is almost a death wish. He just, <laughs> he's got some mean elbows and a mean like shoulder. So I definitely just get tossed around and he just kills me, but that's just kind of how he plays. You got to drag him outside though, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that said, he's been credited with toughening up even Yoli Childs and Colby oh, yeah. Lee and doing those things for the big guys last year. So, I mean, what was happening in practice? What were you witnessing to help those guys get better because of Richard Harward's contributions as a redshirt? I mean, exactly like what you just said. He just would show up every day and just like, I mean, obviously those those two players, Colby and Yoli, are great players. But Yoli just didn't, I mean, not Yoli, uh, Richard just didn't care and he just went at them. And I think because of that, every day, those two got better because of him. And so he just, like I said, is just a bruiser and just loves to compete. Why it's great to catch up with you, man. Uh, it's been a while, so uh, let's talk again soon. Not wait so long. Let's give you some karma uh, for your voluntary workouts as you push forward. And uh, more importantly, T- tell Alyssa hi for yeah, us. Ma- yeah, ma- maybe for uh, the matchup you have with Alyssa Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on here. I love talking it. to you guys. Good to see Thanks, you, Thanks, Wyatt. Uh, good stuff from Wyatt Lowell on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Always good to have, and he said, I'm actually 6'9", right? Um, I think Jimmer was six foot or six one without shoes. He was 6'2 width, so we call it width shoes, I think. I don't know. Is that, wait, I've always wanted to be taller than six foot. Am I six one or 2 now? If my basketball <laughs> playing height? What? I, no. I'm excited about Wyatt Lowell. I'm excited to see what he can do because he was the WAC freshman of the year um, at UVU. Average five points per game in, in league play, which was interesting to be the black freshman of the year. But he shot the ball so well and showed up. Uh, I'm excited with, to see what he can contribute. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. We now bring on Top 5 Tuesday, presented by Delta Keep Climbing. And some of BYU's most iconic games have come when it featured two legends on the same court, field, playing surface. Today we honor those games and those players in our Top 5 Legendary Matchups. And before we get to the Top 5, we have an honorable mention that should be mentioned. So 1983, BYU is number one in the country at one point. Wally Joyner's on that team. BYU goes to the NCAA Tournament. They play a game against Arizona State. The Cougars are up 8-0. Wally Joyner and homered. Well, Arizona State had a player that singled, doubled, and homered in that game. His name was Barry Bond. Wow. Yeah, so that's an honorable mention. That's not even in the top five, so let's go to the top five. (laughs) All right, at number five, we kick off our list with a legendary matchup in 2009. Harvey Unga. Against Bobby Wagner of Utah State. He's my guy now. Umer ran for 118 yards and a touchdown against the Utah State Aggies. BYU won the game, but Wagner also had a game himself. 12 tackles, forced fumble. Unga went on to break the career rushing record at BYU before Jamal Williams took it over. And Wagner went 47th overall in the 2012 NFL Draft. He's a bona fide NFL star now in Seattle. I have a Bobby Wagner Seahawks jersey, so let's go. And number four, freshman Jimmer Fredette versus sophomore James Harden, 2008 in Glendale. Fredette had 16 points, four assists, but the story was James Harden. 
30 points on 21 of 30 free throws. That was more than BYU attempted. Six rebounds, six assists. Charles Buell makes a shot at the buzzer, or does he? Arizona State wins the game 76-75. A lot of Cougar fans still upset about this one. And BYU fouled James Harden. He got two free throws. He made them. BYU had a chance to win the game. Here's JT. Abu puts it in, and it goes in. So much controversy about this play. BYU thought they won. It was reviewed and then determined that it did not count. The rule book says that that shot should have gone in. This is before James Harden traveled on 40% of his possessions. <laughs> we return to the gridiron for number three to feature a game that was iconic in and of itself, showcasing two amazing running backs, Jamal Williams and Kareem Hunt, two NFL guys. Jamal's best career game, 286 yards, five touchdowns. Kareem Hunt was great as well, but he wasn't as good as Jamal. Jamal and the Cougars taking it 55-53. Number two, Jimmer Fredette versus Kawhi Leonard, 2011 in the Marriott Center. Top 10 matchup. Leonard had 22 and 15. Good, right? Fredette had 43 points. Kevin Durant tweeted, Jimmer Fredette's the greatest score in the world. <laughs> BYU won the game. And at number one, legendary matchup at BYU featuring Ty Detmer and Marshall Falk. Listen to these stats. Falk had 118 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. He also had 116 receiving yards for another two touchdowns. Falk accounted for 234 total and four TDs. Detmer wouldn't go quietly down big. He led the Coors to an incredible comeback, 599 passing yards, six touchdown passes. And it's worth mentioning that Ty ran for four yards, putting him over 600 total yards in the game, Jerem. Nice. That game ended in a tie, fittingly, but BYU won the Western Athletic Conference and went to the Holiday Bowl because of that. play yes or no presented by bodyguards protection for a life worth living learn more at bodyguards.com jerem yes or no byu basketball head coach mark pope should seriously look into recruiting byu football's jalen vickers this based on the athleticism that jalen displayed in a box jump okay look at this how high is that i think he's jumping up six feet and Lance, that is incredibly athletic. I want to mention that Jalen Vickers, I believe, was in the New York City mission a couple months ago. Is he on the Fui Vakapuna Regiment? That is unreal. Um, he, I believe, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. That Jalen is a walk-on on the football team, so he should at least try out for the <laughs> Jalen and Jalen's a guy that uh, was young pre-mission. Perhaps we'll be calling his name in the future more often. BYU is looking for a combo guard. So <laughs> Jalen, can you does, does Jalen can you handle the ball? Can you score? <laughs> yes or no? Have you ever read a rule book on vacation? <laughs> like Greg Rubel, we heard earlier. Not on vacation. I've read plenty of rule books, but not on vacation. I was trying to. It's like eh, did I learn that? Maybe with gymnastics when I was first starting to learn that sport to do play-by-play. But not on a vacation, no. 100% I've done it. Here's why. I read the most on vacation. You've read a rule book? Yeah. Getting ready for to call rugby or men's volleyball vacation? or whatever. Vacation? Like Christmas vacation, yeah. Yeah, getting ready for the turn. You and Greg are two peas in a pod, man. Brothers of the same ilk. Yeah, I, listen, he likes it more than I do, but I do like it. <laughs> I, I like knowing, yeah, the nuances of the game. I'm yeah. all about college football preseason magazines, stuff like that on vacation. Not a rule book, though. Yeah. No, I'm about that. Okay. Number three, yes or no? Matt Bushman will lead the BYU football Cougars in touchdown catches this season. I'd like to say yes, but it, it's such an arbitrary stat because if you caught the ball 
you know, earlier up the field, but you're not in the end zone, it's not worth the same statistical value of a touchdown catch, right? Like, oh, I caught it in this area of the field. So I, I'm not sure. Is it going to be a Gunnar Romney or a Dax Milne or a Neil Powell or a Keanu Hill or something? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Isaac Rex is amazing in the red zone. You know, one of those uh, retro freshman tight ends. I, I don't know. I, it's, I think it's easy to say yes. He's the, most, he's the best pass catch BYU has. I'm going to say no. And here's why. I think they'll use Matt Bushman as a decoy primarily in the red zone to open up several other wonderful things. Matt Bushman's going to lead the team in catches, receiving yards, but I think they're going to use him as a decoy in the red zone. I just want BYU to get in the red zone because the homies at Athlon talked about the red zone inefficiency of BYU. The the Cougars came with 73% uh, points in the red zone last year, 120th, so 11th worst. Did Matt Bushman have a touchdown catch in the red zone last season? In the red zone specifically. Good question because Liberty scores a touchdown on a trick play. Boise Mike State, Simon. long play. Boise, Boise State. State, another long play. There's three of the four. What was the other one? I'm trying to remember. I'll look it up. Pretty crazy. Okay, while you're and looking then at it. And then Washington, that was in the red zone. That was in the real state. Is one, that the only one? Get one red zone touchdown catch last season. Wow, only one. So maybe okay. they don't need to worry about using him as a decoy. Target Matt Bushman in the red zone. <laughs> Targeting <laughs> offensively to Matt Bushman. How about that? Our question of the day. What kind of stats do you expect from Matt Bushman this season for BYU football? Our elite voice of the day presented by Sundance Mountain Resort from at N underscore Crowley 19 on Instagram. Answers four words. Break Dustin Pitta's records. Dustin wasn't even that good. Dennis was much better. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Which defensive player will have the greatest impact on the success of BYU football this season? It is Zane Anderson. The Zane train returns and more to his natural skill set and playing position. BYU football coaches, to their credit, are always looking at the ways they can utilize their best players in situations they need them the most. Clearly last year they needed Zane to play linebacker, or so they thought, because BYU was really young. Diane Gonwoleku and Austin Lee. Didn't they had those safeties, okay? Yeah. And BYU was playing some young guys, Peyton Wilgar, you know, among others at linebacker. Keenan Peely. Yeah, Keenan yeah. Peely. So they needed Zane's leadership. Well, he gets injured, and then those guys are forced to grow up, and they produce some really nice things on the field. But Zane, back in his natural position as a safety, is going to be the guy that has the greatest impact for BYU. I think he has the capability of making plays in several different positions. If they want to flex him up and use him as a linebacker in some run-stop coverages, if they want to put him back in diamond nickel coverage, obviously he can do that. He's For crying out loud, he is dipping his foot in the pool with the defensive backs at the cornerback position. Zane will be all over the place. Might as well just play him on the D-line just to <laughs> check all the boxes, right? How many guys does BYU have that they feel like they could run on a corner blitz and pay it off or blitz him from a linebacker position or the safety position? Is he the Taysom Hill of BYU's defense? He might be. He might be. That he way. is an athletic freak. The guy runs a 4-4. It's one of the fastest guys on the team. He says, and he's told us recently, he feels healthier than ever, better than ever, and he likes playing at this weight and this position better than any other thing. And he feels like he will be predominantly at the safety position. So 
I like the Zane train to come in and be the most impactful defensive player for BYU football because of his versatility. Well, yeah, and his name is, uh, you know, we can use it in puns, so that's good too. Uh, I like that pick. Uh, another guy I think could have the biggest impact, Isaiah Kafusi. Hmm. So he's going to be a senior. Uh, Zane will be a second-year senior, by the way. I, I did that at BYU, too. Uh, I, I redshirted my, my uh, first senior year. Academic. Academically, yeah, redshirted <laughs> uh, as a walk-on. Third-leading tackler last year, second-leading returner in tackles, 60 tackles, four-and-a-half tackles for loss, two interceptions, five pass breakups, two fumble recoveries, versatility. Versatility, the pick against USC, which brings us to an actual stat of the day. Oh, it's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Hear ye, hear ye. Isaiah Kafusi is the only player on the team last year with at least 40 tackles, four TFLs, four pass breakups, two picks, and two fumble recoveries. He's all over the place. And in fact, he said midway through the year on the uh, coaches show with Klein Sitake that he didn't feel like he had a good year the year before. Mm. He felt like there was something missing. And, and I think um, that he can have an even better year. I expect 70 tackles and a little bit more havoc. He's around the ball a lot. He's a guy that, uh, you know, is uh, married and has a kid. Like, he just has his priorities straight. And he's a leader. He's mature. Everyone says he's the guy that you would want your daughter to date kind of guy. So I expect Isaiah Kafusi to be a real leader as well on the defense and make an impact. He's not the middle linebacker per se, but he's a guy on the edges that reminds me of a Brian Keel and David Nixon from a decade ago. I like what the BYU defense brings back overall in terms of maturity. And I know that 2017 is a season that we don't look back at fondly. But Zane had 61 total tackles. Two interceptions. He was one of the few bright spots, along with Fred Warner on that defense. Freshman in Matt Bushman was as well. By and the way. he was playing the safety position. In 16, he played in all 13 games. Safety. In 17, he played in 12 of the 13 games. Last year, they moved into linebacker. Four games. He just was not right physically. That, that is the key for Zane: is to be in a position where he's not going to potentially be injured. If he's playing fewer, line, fewer tackle yeah. opportunities as a safety. I want him to fly around, obviously, and lay the lumber. But I, I like Not really. His, I like his speed, like Austin Lee. You know, making plays, pass breakups, just the ability to cover guys, yes. come up with some interceptions. Yes, I, I want that versatility in the secondary. Yes, play him at free safety, not strong then, because then sure. he's more of the roamer sure. as opposed yeah. to the come up and make a play. Although you want him to guard the opposing tight end or the opposing good uh, receiver. Well, and he's a perfect gunner as well. On special teams. I would take him off that, frankly. Mm. If you're trying to keep him healthy, don't play him on special teams. I, w- I would be careful there. Okay. Given uh, what's happened the last couple See what years. the coaches do there? Yeah. No, it's a valid Well, they're going to ask me. So, yeah. It's a valid point. <laughs> Tier 2 job, but is that a Tier 1 verbal offense? Jeremy ESPN puts BYU's head coaching job as a Tier 2 Group of 5 job below the likes of Boise State, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. Is that too high, too low, or just right? Feels too low. Let's walk through it, though. So Tier 1 jobs are uh, defined as this from ESPN. So financial backing for coaches' salaries. Do we feel like BYU is competitive in that regard among Group of Fives? I would say among Group of Fives, yes. Sure. We think we don't know, though, because it's a private institution, so we don't really know exactly how much Kalani Satake and his coaches make. They have a pretty good idea. Come on, <laughs> Support staff and facilities projects. Yeah, No major barriers in access to top recruits. I would say there are barriers. Oh, yeah, that there are, are barriers. Uh, self-inflicted by BYU yeah, and an advantage to get a certain kind of kid, right? But uh, so honor code. Consist- Mission advantage? 
Yeah, that's yeah, it's awesome. Consistent league title contenders that so no league, right? That regularly target New Year's Six Bowls? No. BYU's not sniffed any of those. Even a, even a one six seven eight nine where BYU was really good, they didn't actually get that close, right? They lost too early to ever really be competitive. Uh, you have to go undefeated. History of wins against Power 5, recent or long-term. I would say BYU has a good history of winning about half of those. Uh, talk to a lot of Group of 5 teams. They play one, maybe two a year. Boy, State would go get one win against Ole Miss on the road, and everyone's like, oh, they're legit. It's like, one win? What? Strong local or regional fan support? Oh, BYU's at an elite level with that. Power 5 expansion candidates. BYU is certainly in the conversation, right? Okay, tier two jobs. Mm-hmm. Solid footing with finances. Okay. I would say BYU, in terms of the financial part, BYU is a mid-level Power 5. They're I'm doing like, just fine. They're in the black a long way. Right. Did you know that the Merritt Center Annex was paid for completely, including all the power bills each year, before it was even... Built? Before. That's how BYU works, okay? Uh, access to good regional recruiting areas? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Competes, uh, yeah. Competes often for league championships? No. There's no league. Regularly makes bowls? Yeah. Occasionally challenges for New Year's Six? Nope. Some history of wins against Power Five. Okay, so let's, let's talk about... I think there are elements that are Power Five at BYU. National exposure is one. We just talked about it. Lavelle Edwards Stadium is a Power Five capacity and quality stadium. Rich history, national amazing fan base, BYU TV. Those are power five elements of the program. Tier one G5 attributes. Financial backing, good financial support, support staff and facility projects, history of wins versus P5, expansion candidate. G5 tier two. This is where I think tier two. Barriers and access to top recruits. No league to win or compete in. New York six, New York six isn't a reality. And um, BYU regularly makes a bowl game. That's not like an issue. Whatever. Making a bowl game is not hard. So... Here, here's and it looks it's beyond the field on the field right now. BYU is a tier two group of five team. It feels like right seven and six with just less. You're not playing eight or nine power fives, and you're still going seven and six. But uh, as a program, BYU is a middle of the pack power five team uh, program, right? With all the other things around the team's result on the field. You know what's hilarious about this? This is tabled as. Uh, the head coaching jobs, but it feels one million percent like this isn't just about the head coaching job when you're looking at the definitions of these. It's about the program overall. Well, that's that's one for one. Like, what <laughs> what are you inheriting, right? What are you marrying into, right? It, yeah. It's about uh, it's about your potential spouse, but it's also about everything that comes with the spouse, the family, the history, the attributes they have, the culture, the traditions, the habit, you know, all that. This could yeah. be. Is it a tier one program, not just a head coaching job? Yeah, because of the trade-off that you just talked about. We are inherently offended by the idea that BYU is a group of five team. Like, when someone says that, we get a little bug. not we, a group of five team! We just do. We've chosen to be divorced from a group of five. By design! BYU is an independent. They are unlike any other program in America, really, because they're kind of just stuck in no man's land between G5 and Power 5. By choice. By choice. Yeah. Uh, again, we don't know the compensation, so we're not really going to delve into that. Bro, we have a good idea. We have a good idea, but we don't know the specifics. BYU doesn't have to divulge that information like state schools do. It's not public information. BYU has the capability for Tier 1 facilities. Some aspects are up there. Others clearly need updating, and BYU seems to be working on that. No league, no New Year's Six or BCS Bowl history. The bottom of the definition is where BYU has the strongest case. History of wins against Power 5 teams. Check. 
please. Uh, Are we going by win percentage or total? Yeah. Because BYU has total. Yeah. And I, I don't know the win percentage of like Fresno State against. I don't Or even I'm what's the win percentage of Boise State against Power 5 teams? I would, I would gander that it's, you know, barely above 500 and BYU is a historically 40%. Okay. Win percentage. You can ask the average college football fan that, you know, watches from a week-to-week basis, and you say, okay, does BYU beat Power 5 teams? And they would say yes because, oh, yeah, they had that crazy comeback at Tennessee, and, oh, yeah, they, they beat USC last year. Oh, then they beat Wisconsin, Camp Randall, then that crazy non-conference uh, win streak that the Badgers had. People know that BYU is a brand that can beat Power 5 teams, not just Power 5 teams, but – Power five teams that carry prestige, Tennessee, USC, Wisconsin, strong local or regional fan for fan support. I will raise you a national fan base. Yeah, no question. Though. And a top 25 social media following of all division one athletic programs. Yes. BYU is a power five expansion candidate as well. If there is a power five expansion article somewhere buried within any a uh, publication across the United States. BYU will be in that conversation. Will they actually be invited is a different conversation. They're in the conversation. But they're definitely in the conversation. As far as the head coaching job specifically goes, it's not easy at BYU. Running into significant recruiting challenges, whether self-imposed or not, with the honor code. So that's probably why the job itself falls to Tier 2. But as a program overall, I put BYU in Tier 1 right along with Boise State, who BYU beat last year. Was it even hard, Jerem? It wasn't even hard. With the third-string third quarterback, quarterback. And the fourth-string running back. Cincinnati, UCF. I know UCF is all the rage lately. I mean, they have done some Last year. No. Okay. Houston. Is BYU not on Houston's level? Houston's in an amazing location. That's part of the deal. And they're like they brought in Dana Holgerson. Dana Holgerson left West Virginia to play for uh, coach a group of five. That's a big deal. I put BYU in a tier one program area along with the rest of the group of five programs. Head coaching job, okay, I can see a tier two. Can we just say program? I'd be more program. <laughs> so to those who disagree that BYU is not a tier one program, I say, what's your problem, Kazanski? This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. We welcome in on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline. I didn't think you'd join us. I'll be honest. One of those experienced linebackers, Isaiah Kafusi. Always a good day to have you on the show, man. We appreciate you turning the other cheek towards Jerem and joining us. Uh, what's up, man? How you feeling? Feeling great. Thanks for having me on today. Um, just excited to be back and kind of get things going. And um, things are looking good for the future, so I'm excited. Let's talk about our uh, perceived beef. I have no beef. Apparently, you have beef with me. So, let w- will you inform the people what the issue is here? Yeah, just uh, you know, I'm just very competitive. Don't like to lose. And uh, was coaching a flag football team against Jaron's team in the national, or the I guess yeah, we could, let's call it the national championship. The it was like a and, sponsors uh, dinner flag football <laughs> night thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was I was just coaching my team and, and um Jerem here, you know, we we threw a last second Hail Mary and uh we caught it, you know, probably three yards short of the end zone and our guys running in and Jerem pulls the flag about a yard 
about a yard before like a the foot, end zone. Dude. It's like a foot. <laughs> a foot. I mean, it was literally like we had, we had video evidence and we had to look back at it and it was like so close. But don't like to lose and uh, Jerem seems to just hold that over my head here. You must be very competitive because this was flag football two years ago. That gives me like in the last dance, you know, George Carl doesn't talk to Jordan and that's all he needed. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know you were at that level of, of competitiveness. I love oh, that. Yeah. I it's love all that. fun and games, but yeah, I love it. You spoiled his flag football head coaching debut. So when are you going to enter the ranks again? Um, man, I was hoping to this year, but uh, hopefully soon. Yeah, that that'd Anytime be good. Soon. Let, let's get back. Let's to get that, a, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, you mentioned <clears throat> you're hoping to get things going soon. Obviously. Uh, voluntary works out are, are underway, and there's talk of potentially the NCAA saying, okay, uh, July 13th or thereabouts, maybe the 11th for BYU, who knows, a six-week extended fall camp kind of thing. What are your thoughts on that potential? Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, just, you know, really the last couple months have really changed, you know, my perspective. And so just being able to play football, I think, is would be a huge blessing. Um so I'm just looking forward, you know, any way we can get it, that'd be nice. Um, obviously there are logistical, you know, kind of roadblocks that, you know, potentially are there and we just have to work around those, but um really optimistic about moving forward and kind of the things and it's been, you know, the guys have been coming back and things have been going well uh, in the weight room and with, you know, the coaching staff and, and the strength staff. Um, but yeah, I'm just, you know, excited about, you know, getting football back any way we can get it. We just talked to your linebackers coach, Ed Lamb, and he pointed you out as not uh, surprisingly one of the leaders because of your experience. So as one of the old guys, per se, on the BYU football team, how have you embraced that leadership role and what are you doing to try and further that cause? Um, that's a good question. I, I've always just tried to lead by example. Um, never really uh, tried to be vocal and, and you know, Coaches have asked me to be more vocal, but um, really just getting there every day and just, you know, arriving early, putting my hard hat and grabbing my lunch pail and just getting to work, um, doing extra sets, extra reps, running um, more than I probably need to. But um, really I've just tried to just lead by example. Um, I, I look at the leaders that, you know, I was around, you know, when I entered the program, Fred and Siona and Butch and those guys, um, they just really led by example. So I've tried to really – uh, emulate kind of their example is just, you know, do the things that you do, do everything right. And then, you know, it'll pay off. Team, the dynamic of teams adjust from year to year, Isaiah, in terms of who the leaders are, who the best players are and what year they are in terms of experience. It seems like this team on both sides of the ball, especially on defense is senior heavy is upperclassmen heavy. Is there something to that in terms of, uh, the ability to have a better season than you would have with maybe this group. Should we expect you to have a really good season because there's a lot of good upperclassmen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I look at our team right now, and I think this is probably the most experience we've had since my first year um, in 2016 when you know we had Jamal and Taysom on guys on offense. So I think um, you know the expectations are really high for us because we have so many guys who are experienced um, who are coming back. And so uh, I, I know we hold ourselves to a really high standard. And so I'm sure um, Cougar fans and Cougar Nation out there can do the same. Isaiah, because this pandemic situation has created really a halt for all sports, all athletes, and specifically college football, 
How have you tried to improve as a football player getting through the pandemic and uh, really the last six months overall? Yeah, it's been unique. Um, I mean, we've everyone, you know, basically on this planet has, you know, had different circumstances come up and we've all had to kind of change and adapt to what's, um, you know, to this pandemic and kind of changing our routines. Um, Kalani did a really good job. It was probably about the first week or maybe the second week um, of kind of quarantine. He watched all the film on each of his players and he kind of made a list of things that we needed to work on. Um, so Kalani called me and said, Hey, like I've watched every single snap that you played in last year. Here's what I want you to work on. Here's the things you need to do. Like, so it was very proactive of him to, <clears throat> to kind of, you know, give us things, make a list for us of things we needed to do. And so I could just go out to the field and be like, okay, I need to work on my footwork, my hand strike timing, just getting little things down that will, would help me be a better football player. And so um, that was, that was really big time and, and huge for, I think a lot of players. Um, we've also, you know, had zoom meetings and we've been able to meet um, and, and kind of just go over film and go over different things. And we were lucky because we had some practices on film from spring ball. Um, so that was a, a huge bonus for us, but um, and then I've also had guys, you know, like my cousins, Corbin and Bronson, who have been here and Devin and, and my brother, we've been able to train together. And um, that, that's been a lot of fun, you know, because they're, they're in the same situation, you know, they need to get better. And so we've all kind of just been able to rally around each other and, and get better. So how did you react to Devin's news of transferring to Utah? <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, it, people ask me that all the time. And um you know, I, I had known, you know, a little bit that he maybe wanted to, to transfer and I was, just, I was just excited for him. Um, to me, Devin was, was the BYU guy, you know, he's BYU through and through. Um, but he has goals and he has set goals for himself and he wants to achieve those goals. So for me, I, I mean, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask cause I'm his cousin, you know, and we've been really close. And so I, I've supported him. I mean, a hundred percent through everything and really excited for him to go up there. Um, it, I always kind of joke with him that he's not going to beat us this year, but, <laughs> but uh, no, it, it, it's really fun for him. Um, you know, I, I'll support family no matter what, you know, anywhere they go, anywhere, uh, anything that they want to do. Um, I'm, I'm a family guy. So, but he'll be weird wearing red though, right? It's going to look weird. Yeah, it is going to look weird. <laughs> blue, I, blue definitely looks better. But. <laughs> Isaiah Kafusi with us on BYU Sports Nation, one of those experienced linebackers. When I say BYU versus Utah in 85 days from today, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Oh, there's a lot of things. Um, really excited about it. Uh, you know, last, I guess two years ago, up at Rice Heckles, wasn't able to finish the game up there. And uh, just really excited to get back up there and, and be able to put a, a complete game together, you know, hoping for no injuries. I've been able to really get my, my body in shape, get my body feeling good. So um, really excited about playing football, but uh, yeah, that, that Utah game is, is going to be a special game. And we've been previewing the linebackers today. This is a, a, a loaded group. It's exciting because when you return a lot of guys that you trust, you go, okay, we can do some special things. You guys had 10 of the 15 interceptions. It was amazing uh, what you did, and you won a, a, a bunch of games, USC and Utah State and the drop eight stuff, and Jordan Love goes in the first round. You're like, wait a minute, pick that guy <laughs> off. But what do you expect in 2020 with this group as you, you bring back a ton, but you also add some nice pieces to it as well? 
Yeah, I think our defense is going to be really solid. Um, really excited about kind of our D line and the experience there. And so um, expect a lot more, you know, pressures and, and just getting after the quarterback. Um, I, I really like the drop eight. I know Cougar Nation doesn't seem to, to <laughs> like it as much, but I mean, it, it's led to, uh, it, it's a good mix up and it's a good defense um, for, for inexperienced quarterbacks. Um, kind of like, you know, Slovis at, at USC just, was a good mix up and, and didn't, he didn't really expect what was going on. And, um, but I think the defense as a whole, I mean, we are experienced at every single position group and that's what I'm excited about. You know, not really just the linebackers had 10 interceptions. I mean, that was, that was cool, but that was last year. You know, I think our corners are going to have make big plays, our safeties, linebackers, our defensive line. I mean, it's going to be, there's going to be playmaking all over the field. And that's kind of what, what I'm really, really excited about this year. Which of your teammates at linebacker specifically deserve more attention and publicity? Who should we be talking about more? Oh man, honestly, um, there, there are so many guys. I, I'm trying to think, um, obviously Peyton, you know, is, is a, a stud and he's going to be a phenomenal linebacker. Um, as he matures, as he gets more experience, um, Pepe, I think is a name to, to really circle and Keenan Peely. I think, you know, those three are, they're going to be um, making plays all over the field. So just really excited about those guys. And, and there are more too. I mean, I could go on and on about all the other linebackers, but. Isaiah, let's give you some BYU sports nation karma for uh, the next time you coach flag football. And of course for the actual football. <laughs> and season. with Foster, you have a, you know, one-year-old. So th- that's a handful as well. <laughs> all right, brother. Great to talk to you. Thanks for the hey. time. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Take care. Isaiah Kafusi on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. He's he's a real leader in that group, a guy that, you know, two days ago we were talking about who's going to have the biggest impact on the defense. And I said, hey, Isaiah, you said, Zane, there are a lot of playmakers, and they are experienced. And that's two people bringing up Pepe Tanuvasa's name. Mm-hmm. So we're going to keep an eye on him. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Now we bring on the best to wear it. We're counting up to 99, one number each show, and determining who was the best athlete to wear each digit at BYU. Today, we land on number 25. Doug Howard, he was a dual sport athlete at BYU, nicknamed Mr. Steady. He played basketball and baseball. He was inducted into the BYU Hall of Fame in 1982. Let's talk hoops first. So back-to-back second-team all-whack, uh, averaged about 15 a game. Uh, and then he was first-team All-American in baseball in 1970. Whoa, whoa. Hitting 427, had 70 hits, uh, 52 ribbies in 46 games. He was a draft pick in both the NBA and Major League Baseball. A double draft pick. So 11th round of the Bulls and 8th round of the California Angels. So he ends up playing seven years of pro ball, played for the Angels, Cardinals, and Indians. And uh, Mr. Steady, Doug Howard, is the best to wear at number 25. Doug Howard. Hey, when you hit 427 and you're a first-team All-American, you're probably going to play in the major leagues. And I love this segment because we're able to highlight some of these great athletes from before some of our audience was even alive. In this case, uh, you and I as well. So there's greatness beyond what's right in front of you. And uh, we're able to explore that. So shout-out to Doug Howard yeah. for his uh, greatness at BYU. Obviously, many of these names will be household and will be part of the recency bias. But 
Yeah, Duck Howard was was one that uh, was, Good, was fun to look into. Double uh, draft double pick? Double draft pick. That's incredible. So I'm trying to think how many, just off the top of my head, how many would have happened at BYU like that. Obviously, uh, Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge uh, is drafted by the Celtics and before that by the Blue Jays. But out of high school. It's just uncommon. I mean, I even double sport, draft in pick. sports in general, Deion Sanders, Charlie Ward. Russell Wilson, drafted by the Rangers. Uh, of course, playing football with the Seahawks. Property of the Yankees, I think, uh, at the moment in baseball, right? Um, his rights, that is. Excuse me. Um, yeah, crazy. It just doesn't happen often. But, yeah, I really like this segment. 25, Doug Howard, Mr. Steady. Yeah, there you go. Today, we hit, hit being the operative word, number 26. Nick Van Exel. Nope. Lexi Taro of softball, Mountain West Conference, uh, excuse me, West Coast Conference Player of the Year in 2019. She was awesome, man. Senior year really shined. All Pacific region as well. First team all, first teamer, uh, two-time first teamer in the WCC. Number five in triples at BYU. Triples in softball is a really hard thing to do, by the way. She had seven. The the field is just smaller. Uh, It's 60 feet, right? It's just hard to get a triple. She was fast. Career stats hit 333, repeating, of course. Uh, had a set 178 hits, 85 RBIs, mm. excellent in the field as well. Lexi Taro, softball. You called her game. She was really, really good. Oh, so fun. And it's one thing to be a fast, versatile player, but she packed power. Mm-hmm. So that was a we unique saw one of the homers. Yeah, that was a unique combination for uh, a softball player to be that good and have the five tools, Jerem. Five tool player, man. You, know, you can be fast, but when you're powerful and fast, yeah. watch out. I also loved uh, the play on words with her last name. You know, and during softball games, sometimes you got to whip G- out this. G- give me one. Give me a home run call with your last the, name. Let's hear it. The tarot cards say good <laughs> things are in BYU's future. Nice. <laughs> Today we land on number 27. You were the best to ever wear that shirt, man. Thank you. you look good. I appreciate that. Corey Snyder is the best to wear number 27 ever at BYU. This guy was legit. Played at BYU from 82 to 84. His freshman season, he was uh, the Baseball American Magazine Freshman of the Year, 83. Top 10 nationally in RBIs, average total bases, homers. BYU was ranked number one Whoop. at one point in the season. 1984, he's an All-American. He hits a BYU record 27 homers, which <laughs> is his jersey number as well. He ends up being the fourth overall pick to the Cleveland Indians. Nine-year career with the Indians, White Sox, Giants, and Dodgers. Hit 149 homers, had 902 hits, batted 247. Corey Snyder. Every time I bring up his name, yes. especially during a baseball broadcast and sometimes yeah, on tell, the show. Tell the story. Somebody will always bring up yes. the longest home run ever hit by a BYU baseball player. Mm-hmm. The field stands where Miller Park is right now. And it just wasn't as nice or as developed. Like a chain link fence in the outfield. He hit a ball that landed on the Marriott Center stairs. That's unbelievable. (laughs) That's crazy. I mean, I think there have been a couple of guys that did it over the years. But Corey Snyder is one of the all-time guys. I think there are a lot of BYU fans that don't even know that he played at BYU. 
Like, he was a part of an amazing team with Wally Joyner and others in the early 80s. Colton Shaver hit some absolute blasts, some bombs that bounced up towards the Marriott Center stairs. Yeah. This one reportedly landed at the bottom, landed at the bottom of the Marriott Center stairs. That's one, over 500 feet. It's one of those 27 and 84. Jeez. <laughs> Honorable mentions, Owen Pochman Owen and Ryan Poch- Hancock. We hand it off to number 28. The man is Pete Van Valkenburg, perhaps one of the greatest uh, you know, running backs in BYU history. 1972 was Lavelle Edwards' first year as head coach. And guess what Pete Van Valkenburg did in his senior year? Lead the nation in rushing. With 1,386 yards, he was an AP third-team All-American. But I thought all they did was pass when Lavelle took over. Gary Scheide comes on a recruiting trip that fall. He sees Pete Van Valkenburg lead the country in rushing. And LaBelle Edwards saying, yeah, we're going to pass the ball a lot starting next year. And he goes, yeah, yeah, right, right. (laughs) Uh, Twelve touchdowns tied for eighth most in a a season. That number, 1,386, still the second most rushing yards in a season ever in BYU history. Luke Staley's 1,586-01 is the record. So Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams approximated but never passed that number from Pete Van Valkenburg. Uh, He had six yards to carry that year. Of all players with 150 carries or more in a season, only Luke Staley and Pete Van Valkenburg averaged six or more in a season. Um, pretty awesome, right? Uh, he played in three postseason games that year. He was drafted by the Saints, played a couple years, mainly as a returner in the NFL, a little bit in the CFL. He's in the BYU Hall of Fame. Pete Van Valkenburg. Yeah. Fleet Pete. Yeah, he was Getting awesome. done man. in 1972. That's hilarious about Gary Scheide. Yeah, Lavelle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure uh-huh. we're going to throw it a lot. Yeah, you are. He's leading the country and rushing. He'll say anything to get me to come to Provo. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. This week's Deep Blue segment highlights BYU defensive lineman Uriah Leatawa and his journey from Compton, California to Provo, Utah, and BYU. Plus, how he and his family overcame adversity and challenges along the way to find that success. This is Deep Blue. My brother's name is Uriah Dillian, but we call him Lopa. The name after my dad, so we can remember my dad all the time. During the game, <laughs> everywhere he goes, Lopa is the one. We never call him Uriah Dillian. I'm from uh, Compton, California. I was born and raised there. Both my parents immigrated from Samoa. This is where uh, the cousin got shot at, right? Uh, walking from school. Right there. That's where he got shot at. It, it was harsh, and it was. And it was something that I never really noticed until I got a little bit older. I went home for Christmas. <laughs> I heard sirens, and I was like, whoa, sirens. <laughs> Like, I was shocked again, and I was like, wait a second, that's normal. I think it all grew from the love of our parents. It all depends on you, how you're taking care of the stuff and 
live here in the city of Compton. And that's why I told my kids, whenever, whenever you guys are ready to go, you can go, but I'm going to die here in Compton. And also I told my son, and also my kids, wherever they go, he has to stand up tall and say, we are from Compton. Because we're proud of this city of Compton. I mean, despite everything going on around us outside of what, you know, things that like gunshots or robberies, whatever, we always felt like we were safe here in our home. Now we're going to the high school. We're going in. Okay, so this is Dominguez. The football program at Dominguez, I felt like it was a tight brotherhood. And I felt like despite everything that the boys were going through outside of school, the football program allowed them to feel like they were at home, a second home for them. I didn't play Pop Warner growing up. I didn't actually play um, like all the way up until I got to high school. Actually, my parents were like kind of against me playing football. They're very protective and yeah, they were more interested in school, and I see that more than uh, the way they brought me up. Lopo is always serious about school. That's one thing everybody knows. Uh, Lopo is always uh, always get mad over a B or A minus. He's always wanted A plus, A plus. We even gave him a nickname, called him the dictionary, because uh, there was always uh, words we never understood. Any words we didn't uh, get or understood, we always asked Lopo. With all the sacrifices that my parents made, it kind of it was like a no-brainer to just go to school. And then compared to our peers here in Compton, they were kind of had like part-time jobs or um, odd jobs. And then our parents didn't really want us to work, but just to focus on school. Everything was focused around education because I feel like they didn't have, you know, that growing up back in the islands. So when they came here, they, they knew that it was the only way or one of the possible ways to, you know, possibly get out of Compton, I would say. I know it was hard, but I know it's all paid off. When you see them uh, graduate, then you know it's not just them that graduate. We graduate. Because I know, um, I always tell my children, if you fail... That means I fail. If you success, we success. But I say this to my son all the time. I'm so proud of you. And I love you so much. He's standing after to represent us, to make our family so proud of you, son. And I love you so much. 25, straight back drop for Guadani. Pocket collapses. He's going down. Uriah Leatawa having himself a game. Drops Guadani back at the 32-33 yard line. Loss Honestly, of- my dad is like the epitome of hard work for me. He honestly does so much for us. I remember um, he'll wake up early mornings to run papers. And then he'll work in the meat factory in the day. And, um, and he'll pick up pallets at night. And that was early on in their marriage. <clears throat> and then eventually he, he was blessed enough to get a really great job that he's had since then. And my mom, man, she's my hero too. Because when my dad was gone, my mom took care of us. We would have to stay after school for these after school programs. She would just wait for us. I mean, the way that he was raised, you could, you could tell that he comes from a great home. Parents are 
really, uh, you know, guided him the, the right way. And what the things that he values really tell a lot about just his family and, and, and the place that he comes from. They put me through the entire public school um, system. I'm a Compton Unified School District kid from elementary to high school. I'm so happy and proud of where I'm from. It does not define me, but it does make me stronger. Another great story, fantastic family, and Uriah Leatawa, uh, to his credit, not just seeking to become a great football player, but he is an outstanding student in the classroom. Yeah, majoring in business. Uh, Pro Football Focus says he's a potential breakout player this year. So excited to see what he can do on the defensive line. And he's a good dude. When he signed, we were very excited mm. because it was between Stanford and uh, BYU, obviously a, a great student and a great story. You know, they're, they're, it's, it can be tough from Compton, obviously. There's a, there's a history there. But he, uh, he has done a tremendous job being an influential in his community. And his family, after that Deep Blue came out, won an award in the city. Uh, they were recognized, which is pretty wow. cool. So nice job by uh, Uriah and his uh, family. Awesome. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Eureka! A moment of enlightenment has graced us in Studio B, specifically a Jerem Jordan epiphany. My colleague declared he had one of these moments on the show yesterday in regard to the immediate future of BYU football. So now it is time to enlighten us, my friend. What do you have for us? Okay, three things. The epiphany, the expectation, and the names. The epiphany is this. BYU has way too many experienced players coming back for us to expect them to win seven games or fewer. Just as I look at the roster and who is going to be potentially starting, I see way too many upperclassmen starters for us to expect something low. Now, I'll get to why we expect something low okay. in a second. Okay. But it brings us to the stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. BYU has a projected 10 upperclassmen starters on both sides of the ball. That is a junior or senior on both sides of the ball. Okay? So that's the epiphany. Now, yeah. that stat through these... Uh, moderate blue goggles looks really nice, Jerem. It's it's not a it's not a thing that requires the glasses. It's just going to happen, whether you like it or not. I'm just saying it looks good through the goggles. Yeah, well, they all look good through the goggles, don't they? <laughs> that's the idea of the goggles. Uh, okay, that's the epiphany. The expectation. It's got to be eight plus wins for BYU now. It just does. Are you going on record? Yeah. BYU football will win eight or more games. Yeah, we should, include a bowl game. we should expect eight-plus wins with the amount of juniors and seniors that BYU has. Okay, in that's regular the regular season? I don't know. Just in the season. Okay. Okay? All right. Well, it's going to be 14 wins when BYU wins the national championship <laughs> in the playoff, right? Okay, the names. So, part three, the names. Uh-huh. Look at this. Say like quarterback, Zach Wilson, junior. Okay? Well, what about Jared? Zach Wilson is going to be the starter. Running back, Devontae Henry Cole, Lopini Katoa, senior, junior. Wide receiver, Gunnar Romney, Dax Mill, Neil Pollan, all juniors. Tight end, Bushman, senior. O-line, Christensen, Saliapaga, MP, Hodge, junior, 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 senior. D-line, Kairos Tonga, senior. Linebacker, Kafusi and Fonua, seniors. Cornerbacks, Wilcox, Mandel, Ellis, senior, junior, junior, safety. Anderson and Warner, senior, senior. Listen to all these guys. Now, those are the parts three. Part four, the reality. Injuries happen. That's part of the issue. But it's a senior-heavy team, right? 
Lindy's uh, projects 10 of 11 starters on both sides. I'd look at it and i go, I agree. On offense, it's Blake Freeland, a sophomore. And on defense, it's Peyton Wilgar, a sophomore linebacker. Everyone else is a junior senior. Why wouldn't we expect BYU to do better? Now, there's a certain urgency associated with being a senior specifically. Ask the BYU men's basketball team last year. And I would like to highlight not the obvious big three, but guys like Dalton Nixon and Zach Selyus and the influence they had on culture and execution on the court. It really helped, right? So what if BYU summons their best selves out of an upperclassman group? Now, we, here's, here's, and here's the reality of it. We are jaded by the last three seasons of four wins, seven wins, seven wins. Understandably I, jaded. Right. No, I, trust me, I'm jaded a lot on this show. Trust me, I'm, I'm Mr. Jaded sometimes. Post Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams, it's not been the same, right? But what did 2016 provide us? Isaiah Kafusi said it. He said, I feel like this is our most uh, experienced team since 2016. I think that experience will give BYU one more win than they would have. We're looking at it just without looking at who the experience level to some degree. We're just looking at names and skill. And, and I go, looking at the schedule. Right, and the schedule. Of course, of course. You don't have to tell me that. <laughs> I think that eight should be the expectation based on the experience BYU has come back. If BYU was in the Mountain West, and this was you know a couple years ago, we would say, oh, I think this is a 10-win season. We would say that. But right now we go, eh, the schedule and injuries and, well, the last year is the inconsistency and the group of five issues and da-da-da. I just, I just look at it. Yesterday I looked at it and I thought, wait a minute. Why don't we expect eight-plus wins? And I, I get why you wouldn't, but I think we should look at it and think that there are eight wins there. Jerem, I'm going to do something that I'm pretty sure I've never done on this show. That's impossible. You've done everything. Mm, I've never given you a standing <laughs> ovation on the show. Oh, wow. For that take. This is very exciting. This is the affirmation I've always sought. I know it. I know it. Standing <laughs> ovation we, for that we, epiphany. Why don't we do the show standing like Wolf Blitzer? Can we just stand behind the desk one Welcome day? Welcome to the steam room. Yeah. No. <laughs> stand one show. I don't, just mix it up. Then you become the news. Okay. Well, that, well, here's the real issue. Then our camera operators actually have to move. Because <laughs> right now I'm just sitting here. They can just hold still. Eight wins or more. I am on board for it. Yeah. I went in thinking, okay, BYU is going to win at least seven games. Because yeah. I am of the opinion they will figure out a way to win at least three of the Power Five games. Because the emotion will be there. The Cougars will get up for those Power Five games. they got six of them. They're going to win three of those. I was concerned about the group of fives. But you know what? experience should reign supreme. There's only five group of fives, by the way. Experience should reign supreme against the teams you're supposed to beat. That is something that BYU has not had in the recent past against those group of five teams, those weird games on the road, Eastern time zone. Now BYU has experience. Yeah. Frankly, we're saying BYU has no excuses. Like, it's time. This team, this roster, the experience they have. My next question is, though, Does BYU have the depth to sustain injuries and still come back and be okay? And Depends on the position. I think in multiple position groups, they do. BYU has that at linebacker. They have that in the secondary. They have it at quarterback. They have it at quarterback. Which is the most important one. They have it on the offensive line. And they probably are okay at wide receiver if a guy or two go down as well. I disagree on that one. Really? Yeah, because we we have three dudes that we hope are going to take a step up, but... After that, we don't know. See, like, Neil Keanu Powell, Hill, there's no expectation see, right now. I'm, I'm high on Keanu Hill, and Neil Paul coming back made me feel a little bit more comfortable about the depth at wide receiver. Right, but you're saying, yeah, I'm comfortable with depth of guys who haven't done 
much yet. So that that's saying a lot about nothing okay. at the moment, right? I, yeah, I'm with you. I want Keanu Hill to be amazing. Neil Powell hasn't played in a year. We expect him to be solid, right? Who's the 700-yard guy on this team, you know? Is it Gunner? Gunner <laughs> receiver, not tight end. Yeah, that, that's a question mark. Kicking game is a question mark. Jake Goldroyd really struggled down the stretch. Skyler Southam transferred to Utah. Defensive struggled. line. Defensive line. Can be all you get. They, you know, were uh, bottom 20 in sacks, you know, and Havoc rate was uh, 11th worst in the country and whatnot. So, yeah. It, I, no, I'm with you. There are legit questions. Schedule, injuries, depth, duh, duh, duh. I look at who BYU has. And I go, why wouldn't we win at least eight here? And here's the thing. Am I asking something insane? No. I'm asking for an eight-win season. What BYU is this where we would not expect eight? We're in a weird uh, zone here for BYU football history where we expect a lower-level season than we have in a long time. To go into multiple seasons in a row and to say we expect seven wins is weird, dude. But that's because the schedules are consistently getting harder. But, as you brought up... Everyone's like jumping on my agenda here. The experience BYU brings back. Plenty of room. Okay, go three and three against the Power Five teams. Yes. Go four and one against the group of five and beat your FCS opponent. Beat North Alabama. Live on BYU TV. And go eight and four in the regular season. Is it that far fetched with the no. experience? I've been saying it's not crazy. I, I've put it specifically on the offensive line and the quarterback. I've been saying, hey, oh BYU. Typically, they're pretty good when they bring back an upperclassman quarterback, and they've got a bunch of upperclassmen on the offensive line. So I went there with the two groups. Yeah, but sure. you have pointed yeah. out there is experience all over the roster. I, Only making everywhere. me feel better about BYU is going to be good. Because they have an upperclassman quarterback. No, they have upperclassmen, period. Yes, and winning eight games is not a notable thing. It when would it, be against this schedule, and well, it would be because BYU, no one else. because BYU hasn't done it the last three years. Yes, I'm talking outside the program. No one looks at an eight-win team and goes, wow, that's awesome. No one cares if you win single-digit games. No one cares. Unless you won you know, two or three the year before, and you just make this massive, like, five- or six-game leap, right? But that's a uh, rate of improvement uh, thing. That's the Damon Stoudemire Award. We, we expected nothing, and you did something, so here's an award that Mark Pope should have got. That's the Damon Stoudemire Award. But in this case, I'm not, I'm not calling for ten wins. I'm calling for eight. I know, but at one point I'm you were saying— I'm calling for eight. At one point when we initially looked at the schedule, you said— Hey, just get to a bowl game. Six. You have changed your stance significantly. Two games more. Yes. Two wins more. As you learn things, you should change your ideas. Two thumbs up. If you feel like you're going to have the same ideology your entire life, you are one stubborn person. Jeez. Yeah, I, I look at the roster and I go, wait a minute. I've learned something here. So I've changed my thought process, right? I we're, appreciate we're, it. We're, we're going through that with the social injustice in the country, right? And that is a more serious topic. But this one is, yeah. Why wouldn't we think that an upperclassman-led BYU could at least be an eight-win team? I'm here I don't for it. think it's crazy. I'm here for and it, And I hate that this is where the standard is currently. We're like, dude, eight <laughs> would be good. It's like, oh, eight would be bad back in the day. I like it when you call out people for being stubborn because you're stubborn. Oh, That's I'm, part of what makes you great. I'm crazy stubborn. <laughs> Absolutely. But I have self-awareness level 100. I know what I am. Yeah, I ain't no Russell Westbrook. Come on, man.
That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Ha, ha, ha.